0: Welcome to Woodlawn. We're so glad that you've joined us today, and we want to welcome those of you who are worshiping with us online as well. We're glad to have you, too. Now, we're in the seventh of the seven-sermon series today, and I know what some of you are thinking. Wait a minute. This is the seventh message? I missed the first six. I might as well just leave right now. Don't do that. Don't push the panic button. Let me tell you what you can do. You can go back and just listen to the first sermon in the series, and I go in more depth there of an overview of the whole thing, and and I think it'll be a great foundation for you to really process what we're talking about, but also today I've got good news. I'm going to review, but it's just going to be a quick overview of the whole series. I, I don't have time to go in depth about the whole series today. But I am going to share some basics with you. And then I'm going to take the second half of the message to challenge all of us to do four things as disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to thank both of you for responding to that. I feel so encouraged now to just go ahead and share my message. I, I can't really see you very well, and if I could, you've got masks on, so I don't know who you are. It's just really bizarre, isn't it? What if I wore my mask while I preach? That would really be different, wouldn't it? You, you have a hard enough time understanding me now, don't you? But you'd really have a hard time understanding me then. Well, listen, we're going to talk about big church. Now, <clears throat> why do we call this series Big Church? Well, because the church is a big deal. We said those first century Christians were people who were persecuted. Some of them were even killed for their faith. If it hadn't been for the first century Christians, we wouldn't be here today, would we? So I want to talk about what the church means. And if you read the book of Acts, it's a great place for you to learn about how the church was launched. You know, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell, and that was the birthday of the church. Acts, the whole book, is very beneficial. The second chapter especially, especially, go through there and read that. You'll learn a lot, but today we're going to be wrapping it up because we've gone through the whole book. We're going to be talking about the later verses in the book of Acts. And we said the church was launched 2,000 years ago, not as an institution, but as a movement. It was always a movement, and it's still a movement today. The church is not the building, is it? It's the people, right? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. See all the people wearing their masks. See them right there? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) And so the church is the people. It's the body of Christ. It's not an institution, but it's a movement, and it still needs to be a movement Today. There were just about 120 people in Jerusalem who experienced what happened when Jesus was resurrected. You remember, he was dead and buried, and on the third day, he was resurrected. But they were so excited about what had happened that they started telling everybody they met. And they would share what it meant to be followers of the way. Now, they didn't call it Christianity back then. They called it the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they just said, this is the way. And that's what they were talking about. Later, that became Christianity. Later, that became the church. But they were followers of the way. And because of that, millions of, you of know, people now have accepted Christ, haven't they? But back then, I mean, several thousand just became It just mushroomed very quickly, and that became known as the way, that movement. Within a few weeks, there were so many of them who had made a commitment. In fact, he had risen from the dead, and that message that they were sharing became that movement that it still is today. It disrupted the fragile balance, though, between the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders. And so what happened was, you know, the Romans, they depended on the Jewish leaders. You take care of your responsibilities. We'll take care of everything else. And, and so now everybody's talking about the way, and it's causing a big stir. And, and people, some people are upset about that. And so now the Roman authorities are stepping in, and they're saying this is a problem. We've got to do something. Now, the number one pr- uh, persecutor in those days was a man by the name of Saul, of Tarsus we talked about him and he began to find followers of the way and he would have them arrested and put in jail and sometimes he would even have them killed and he was very zealous now I want you to understand that Saul's motivation was because he thought he was doing what was right based on the teachings and the understanding of what he had learned about God growing up so he thought he was doing the right thing he was just mistaken he was misguided But then in the middle of the whole story, this dramatic uh, transition takes place. And what happens is that Saul gets saved. Saul's on the road to Damascus, and he's literally blinded on his way. They lead him into the town. He he goes in, and he stays at at a friend's house. Ananias comes to his house, sent by God. He lays hands on him and prays for him. And something like scales fall off of his eyes, the Bible says. And now God has changed his heart. He's, he's begun to see in more ways than one that there really is a true God and that he's been mistaken all along and he's been wrong. And so now God says, not only am I going to change your heart, but I'm going to give you a new name. God does that a lot of times in the Bible, doesn't he? And he changed him from Saul to Paul. And that's where we learn about the Apostle Paul. Now, here's what I want you to catch. The number one persecutor of the faith now becomes the number one spokesperson of the faith. Now, that's a miracle in itself. Can you imagine him changing like that? It's a 180. He turns completely around. He's going in a different direction now, and he becomes so involved in sharing the faith there. He's talking about the Jesus that he didn't believe in just a short time ago. And now this movement of the church is beginning to grow. And then he began to travel outside Judea. I said that what he said was, i tell you what, to the disciples, you stay here in Jerusalem and you share the way with the people here, I'll go to the rest of the known world and tell them about it, okay? And he went to the Romans, and he went to the Greek-speaking people, and he went all around the Mediterranean rim, and he shared the faith with them there. And then he sent, uh, you know, the word was that, that he, he, Jesus had uh, come. He was the Son of God. God sent his Son. Now, here's what they learned. You know, think about this. <coughs> if you're trying to follow God... And you're trying to keep all the rules. You're not perfect. So you're not. You're having a hard time keeping the rules, aren't you? So what are you going to do when you mess up? What are you going to do when you can't keep the rules? What are you going to do when you sin and you fail? They don't really have anything they can do. If they believe in the Greek gods, they're going, Zeus, Apollos, help me. And they're going, what? <laughs> you know, there's nothing happening here. But when God sent his son Jesus He sent a new message, not just of the law, but of grace. Well, now you can confess your sins. Now you can repent of your sins. Now you can accept Christ and you can be forgiven of your sins. And you can do that daily. You can turn to him daily and say, Lord, now please forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now you've got an option. Now there's something that will work for you. And so now we know that he died for our sins. Now, Paul would always go to the synagogue first. And he would always share the message of Christianity with the Jewish people first. He was Jewish, and he was a Roman citizen. And so he would go to them first. In fact, he was a Pharisee. And and so he had uh, some authority with them. They would listen to him a lot of times. And many of those people, many of those Jewish people, when he would speak to them, they would listen and they would accept the way, and they would follow him. But then he would say, now, I've gone there. Now, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Look at the person next to you and say, are you a Gentile? Go ahead and ask them right now. Chances are, most people in this room today are Gentiles. There's not probably not a lot of authentic Jewish folks, but there could be some who are here today. And if they are, they're certainly welcome. We're glad to have them. You know, Jesus was Jewish, wasn't he? And so he is our Savior. We're excited about that. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's important for us to realize that not only did Jesus come, not only did he give his life for you and me, not only was he dead and buried, he was crucified, he was raised from the dead, but he sent Paul to go out and share the message. And Paul, I'm so grateful that he went to the Gentiles, aren't you? Because, you know, if he hadn't gone to the Gentiles, we wouldn't be here this morning, would we? We'd be somewhere else looking for the answers and not finding them. And so that's how the whole thing got started. And suddenly people from all over the Roman world began to follow the message of the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. But there were some very dark days that came along in the life of the church. And in the Middle Ages, there were some horrible things done in the name of Jesus. If you've studied all that stuff, you know the Crusades, you know the Spanish Inquisition. I preached a message some time ago, and I talked about the history of the Bible and the church. If you want to go back online, you might go back to last spring. I believe that's when I did it. I'm not positive, but you could probably find it. And it's really about the history of of the Bible, and it tells you all about that and how those martyrs gave their lives so that we could have God's Word today in our own language to read. And so those sad things happened, and they started telling people, you could buy your way to heaven. They had things called indulgences, and they said, you know, you could pay indulgences, and you could be guaranteed a spot in heaven. Well, boy, wouldn't that be nice if you could just save up a little bit there and pay your way, and then you got your advance ticket, right? But it doesn't work that way, does it? We're not saved by something we do. We're saved by grace, aren't we? But in spite of all that, there's always been a remnant of God's people. Even when people got off on a tangent and went in different directions, there's always been this group of people who were the remnant of God's people. They understood who they were. They understood what they were supposed to do and how they were called to be a part of letting other people know the message of Christ. And there's still that remnant today, that God has done something unique in our midst, that His Son is the payment for our sins, and that He has helped us conquer sin and death, hasn't He? And since that time, so many incredible things have happened in the name of Jesus. Hospitals have been built, millions of people have been fed, all kinds of people have been given homes in the name of Jesus. Children have been sent to school in the name of Jesus. Slavery has been done away with in England, and, and some of the people from England who were Christians came to our country, and they had an influence on slavery being abolished here in America later on. Missionaries have risked their lives. Some of them have given their lives for the incredible message of the gospel to be heard all over the world. And so when we gather today in the name of Jesus, we know that the movement Continues. There's always a group of people who understand what our mission is and what the movement is all about. And that brings us to today because today it's our turn. You see, the baton has been passed to us. Here's what I want you to understand today. The first century Christians who were so bold, so brave, persecuted, some of them killed for their faith, they're not here anymore, are they? They're up there in the balcony of time looking over, and they're cheering us on. They're the saints who've gone on to glory, and they're cheering us on, and it's this generation that they're interested in now, and they're looking to us to reach this whole generation for Christ and to go out and share his word. And in the book of Acts, what happened back then was there was a big controversy, and they said, well, we got to figure out now that we got a church we got to figure out who can go. We're just not going to let just anybody in, right? I mean, sometimes churches get that way. They don't even realize it, but they can get snooty. Look at the person next to you and size them up. See if they look snooty to you right now. Don't say anything to them. Just look at them and and, and kind of think about it, you know, and let them look at you too. That happens sometimes. Now, here's here's a, uh, this is a miracle. You know, one of the greatest reasons to believe in Jesus was that his own brother, James, believed he was the son of God. Can you think about that in your family? I got a brother. What if I, I, you know, he was always known as the good kid. I was the bad one growing up. What if I went to my brother and said, guess what? I'm the Messiah, the Son of God. Yeah, me. You know, Mom, she always said I was her favorite, you know, and I'm just telling you. I I mean, and and so here's James going, who does he think he is, right? But even James recognized he was the Son of God. Even his own brother looked at him and said, you know what? God's got his hand on this guy. He's special, and I believe in him. So James is listening to all these people who are talking about who should we let in, who should we not let in, and James stands up, and everybody gets quiet, and he makes a little speech, and, and here's what he said. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, listen, it shouldn't be any harder for the Gentiles to turn to God than it is for the Jews to turn to God. He said, we need to make it easy for people. We don't need to make it hard for them. In other words, we need to make sure we do everything we can to help them understand and make it simple. In the book of Acts, you know, the reason the message of Jesus survived the first century was because of those bold people who stood up and shared their faith and they took it on. You know, it was put on their heart to tell other people about Jesus, and that's what they did. And they just wouldn't back down, would they? No matter what was done to them, they just kept going, didn't they? The Apostle Paul started in Jerusalem. And we said that he just went out and he started starting little churches. Now, when I say that he went out and planted churches... All over, You know, it wasn't like you could travel all over the Mediterranean Rim and see these buildings, okay? That's not what happened, okay? The churches were just little bands of people, just little groups of people that he had shared the faith with, and they probably met in houses, and that's all they had back then. But he would just share the faith with them, and he would teach them, and then they would share the faith with others, and they would teach others. And and it was word of mouth. That's how God did it, and he worked in their lives, but, but it was supernatural because it was just thousands overnight. I mean, it just, God's word just came forth and like wildfire, the church grew. He called them churches. They were gatherings of believers and it was a dramatic thing. Now, look at the person next to you and say, we have finished the review. Go ahead and tell them that right now. Go ahead and tell them. Yeah, and inside just do a little, yay. Okay, yeah, right. Because we're through the review part. Now, we're at the challenge part. Okay, that's number two. We're going to be challenged together. Well, how does that affect us? What does that mean to us today? You know, the way they taught us in seminary, they would say, this is what the Bible says, now so what? So what? So what are you going to do with it? So how are you going to respond to it? So what difference does it make? And so I want to challenge all of us to do four things. This is how we can continue to share the message of Christ today. All right? Are you ready? Have you got your pencil sharpened? You got an ink pen? You got something to write this down with? You going to remember it? How many of you are going to remember this? You know, everybody says that, but nobody will. They, nobody will remember. They'll leave and they'll go eat and they'll go, what was it I was supposed to remember? What, he, what was he talking about? So I want you to write it down for me, okay? First, we need to be bold in our invitation. We need to be bold in our invitation. When you have a party, do you invite people? Unless you have it by yourself, you do. That's right. You've got to let people know, don't you? And so we want to be bold because the best thing that's ever happened to us is when we came to know Christ, right? And so we want other people to experience that. And we need to be bold and inviting them. What do I mean by that? I mean that you think God puts people on your heart sometimes and you think this thought, I need to invite them to come with me to worship. And then you leave here after I get through and you think you've got this great memory and you forget all about it because you go do your own thing. And then you come back next Sunday and go, oh, yeah, I was supposed to invite so-and-so and I didn't do it. And, and so you've been thinking that all this time. God's been working on you. He's been talking to you. And so now you need to put that into action and you need to be bold and you need to go ahead and invite them to be a part of the church family. You know, you need to ramp up your boldness, and I'll tell you why. Because you and I need to look at the church through the lens of an unchurched person. Don't don't look at it like you've been here forever. Look at it like you've never been. You're a person far from God. And how can we continue to make this a place for unchurched? One of the things I try to do in my messages is I try to explain things to people that they may not know. I try to tell them things and teach them things that they may not understand. And you know, you may already know all that stuff, but they don't. And so they're first-time people here every week. And so we've got to try to teach them and love them and show them what it means to follow Christ. And so we need to look at the the church and, and the service and the body of Christ as as an unchurched person. Now, one of the ways I mentioned this the other day, one of the ways we need to do that is we need to make sure that we're a friendly church. Oh, yeah, we're a friendly church, you say, because I got my friends here, and they speak to me, and I speak to them, right? I mean, what more could you ask for? It's, It's good enough, isn't it? But what about those people who just walked in the door and they've never been here before? And I told you about a couple who came to this service and nobody spoke to them. Thank God they had been here before. They come every year. And so they knew that there were some friendly people here. But they didn't know. You know, that day they wouldn't know. And so try to find somebody you've never met before, somebody you've never spoken to before. And just go out of your way to be nice to them, to speak to them. You know, you've got plenty of time to get to lunch. Don't worry about who's going to get there before you. Just go ahead and talk to somebody. You can spend a little time together after the service and reach out to somebody because you'll continue to help us evaluate how sensitive are we to seekers, people who are looking for God, people who are looking for a relationship. If we quit inviting over time, we'll just become insider-focused. Just, you know, me and mine and ours and, you know, and that's all we'll do. And we won't ever look beyond ourselves. I need you to take a risk in your invitation because it will grow your faith. And someday you'll have the reward of inviting that person and seeing what God does differently in their life because of it. Now, I want you to look at this this graph, this chart I've got here. It says reach, connect, invest, and launch. Do you see that? Reach, connect, invest, and launch. Let me just talk about that. Reach, connect, invest, and launch. It's It looks like this. Let me show you what it looks like. It's a circle, okay? There's, we're supposed to have a circle up there that says reach, connect, invest, and launch. Reach is here. Connect is here. Invest is here. And launch is here. And we go back up to reach again. Reach, connect, invest, and launch. y'all have x-ray vision? (laughs) Say it with me. Reach, connect, invest, and launch. One more time. Reach, connect, invest, and launch. Now, let me tell you about that. What's that all about? Well, what we want to do is reach people who are far from God. We want to connect with those people. We want to make friendships with those people. We want to invest in them. We want to teach them what the Bible says and help them understand Will you receive the benediction? There you go. (laughs) And then we want to launch those people back out to reach other people for God. Now listen, here's what I'm saying. Every time the circle goes around, it grows because more of you are doing what that says. If more of you are doing what that says, you're reaching more people, aren't you? So the circle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time if we do that right and so that's what we're calling you to do that's what we're called to do as a church reach connect invest and launch and then those people we launch out they come right back and they reach more and it just keeps on growing and getting bigger all along now i need you to be bolder in your way that you're doing things and inviting people because of the task that God has put before us. Now, the second thing is, be bold in your volunteering, okay? Some of you are already volunteering, and I want to thank you for that, okay? I really appreciate that because we need you, and it it makes a huge difference. But some of you are still sitting on the sidelines, and you haven't gotten in the volunteer game. You know, every week, people serve you and your family, your teenagers, your children, but you're not serving anywhere. You're not volunteering anywhere. And I know what you're going to say. Well, you know what? I'm busy. I've heard that before. You know, I've been doing this a long time, right? Well, let me tell you something. Those people who are here taking care of you are busy people too, but they make time to reach out to you and to help you and to bless you. So if you've been sitting on the sidelines, I want to challenge you. You know what happens when you get involved in serving and doing things in the life of the church? What happens is when you volunteer, you might meet a new friend, and you might make a lifetime friendship with that person because y'all got together and started doing something together. A lot of the people who do that for CR, they become friends together. They do it together. There's all kinds of ministries in the church that takes place, okay? So I want to encourage you to do that. Consider volunteering. Do it in an area you've never done it before. Boy, God will stretch you there, won't he? Boy, I am. It's kind of like me at the grocery store. I'm just out of my element. You know what I'm saying? My wife might give me a little list and say, "Okay, go down here and get this and get these kind of Kleenexes that have this number on them to have the right thing." You know, because you got to have 84 in there. I'm sending you back, okay? And I'm just trying to make it. I'm just trying to find stuff. And I'm going up and down the aisles in there. I'm looking at the signs up there. You know, you can just look at me, and, and people just have mercy on me. They do. They. They said, Mr., are you lost? Yes, yes, I am. I'm completely lost. Can you help me? And they'll kind of guide me in the right direction. The other thing that happens to me at the grocery store is I see you at the grocery store. And somewhere I start over here in produce, and I just visit with people. You know, I forget that I'm there for a purpose. And I get over here in frozen foods, take up an offering, right? (laughs) Then I go on over here to the dairy section and I preached a whole message by the time I get through and I've forgotten several things on the list and then Laura has to go back and get all that stuff because I don't do it very well. Well, you know what? Volunteer for something that's out of your element, something you've never done before. It'll grow your faith, okay? And then take that step. It's an amazing opportunity that God has given us. Now, I want you to be bold in your giving. That's the third thing. Not because we need money but because it'll grow you. Listen, people get so confused about this. It's one of the most difficult things, and it's simple. It's real simple. It's, not, it, it's so hard for people, but they make it hard. You don't have to do that. Here's what I want you to understand. The whole reason that God teaches us to give is so we'll grow. That's it. So we'll grow. He gives us 100% of what we have, right? Anybody coming to the world carrying a pocketbook or anything when you were born? Anybody have it? You brought that in with you? You're taking it out on the U-Haul trailer? Anybody going? No, we, we didn't have any of that stuff. So God gave it to us. You say, well, I I, I worked. I, yeah, God gave you the mind. He gave you the ability to work. He gave you everything you've got. And so he says, I'm going to give you 100%, and I'm going to ask you to give me 10% back. I'm going to let you have 90. You give me 10. Now, he could say, I want you to give me 90%. And you can have 10 and we can't argue (laughs) because he gave us 100, right? But but it's all, it's not about, it's about trusting God. Because here's what happens. When you start giving to him first, you learn to trust him. You budget your money better. You take care of that and then you're shocked at how God provides for you. I've had people over my ministry, I've taught them this, they've started doing it. They they were percentage givers. They started giving a percentage. They had no clue. I mean, no background at all. Then they would increase the percentage. They got it up to 10%, and then they kept giving beyond that. Do you know what they did? They would come to me and they would say, can I get up in church and tell my friends about this? I don't know why I didn't do this years ago. It's been such a blessing to me, and it's grown my faith in this area. And they get up and talk about it, you know. And, and so it's a, it's a blessing. Don't get hung up. Don't ever give because Joe said so. Okay? Don't, don't do it. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it because you think you got to. Don't do it because somebody twists you on. Don't do it. D- just don't do it. Forget it. God loves a hesitant giver. Is that what it says? God loves a cheerful, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Let me tell you, it makes you feel good to give. It really does. You can ask little kids. You come in, you have the offering, what do children want? Give me some money. I want to give. Well, I'll put yours in for you. No, no. I want to do it myself. And they want to give, don't they? See, they know the joy of it so, what I want to challenge you to do is just be generous in giving. God's a giver; He gave His Son, Jesus, gave His life, and He wants us to be like Him. And so, we learn that in the church in history, you know, we could be the first church in history to quit taking up an offering. You know, in fact, we don't even do it now because we just have this little basket back there because we can't do anything because of COVID. You know, but those New Testament Christians, the first century. Christians, man, they were generous. You read the book of Acts. One of the first things they did, they pooled their resources, and they gave to any who had need. We say, I would give to any who deserve it according to my standards. Right? No. They gave to anybody who had need. Are you a tither? God bless you. Are you a percentage giver? Wonderful. Increase your percentage. Give. Be bold in your giving. And then the fourth thing, be bold in your prayers. Here's how I want you to pray. I want you to pray some bold prayers. I want you to pray for the teenagers and the adolescents in our country to be the next generation for God. I want you to pray for them that God will raise them up to be the church leaders of the future, the missionaries of the future, the people who are like those first century Christians. They're sharing their faith with others. That there'll be a generation who say, You know, I'm going to continue to be faithful to God after high school. And I'm just going to continue all the way through college. And I'm going to continue all of my adult life. And I'm going to be a person for God. That God would do something unique in the hearts and lives of teenagers in our country and in our church. And at the beginning of the series, we started by talking about the book of Acts. And we're going to wrap it up now. We're going to talk about the end of the book of Acts. And if you look at it, at the end of the book, Paul is under house arrest. And he's in Rome, and he's inviting the Jewish authorities to come to him, and he's going to tell them who he is and why. And they're coming in, and they're saying, we've heard a lot about you, and we've heard about this sect that you're a part of, the way, you know, and so we want to know about it. We're, We're really confused about it all. And Paul begins to preach the gospel to this Jewish crowd. Now, here's what happened. As he's preaching to them, he can see their eyes glaze over. He can see that they're not getting it. Did you know that preachers know that? (laughs) Preachers, they can look at you and go, they're not getting it. (laughs) They're not getting it. Okay, they're getting it, but they're not, you know. Really, you can see that. And so, and and especially if you're sitting in an office one-on-one and you're going through the gospel, it's just zip, it's going right over their head. They're just not getting it. They just don't have eyes to see it. So here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want you to know that you can get it. Paul was talking to these Jewish people, and they weren't getting it. So here's what he said. He said, you know, I've got a heart for you, and I've been trying to talk to you, but now I'm going to go to the Gentiles. It says in Acts 28, 28 this, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He said, even if you won't listen, I know that they're going to listen. And God has done something, and I've tried to share it with you, but the Gentile people are now who I'm going to talk to. And then in Acts 28, 30, it says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, welcomed all who came to see him. And what did he talk about? Every time they would show up, it says in Acts 28.31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see. All that's happened to him, but he just continues to be faithful. And I like that last part. He does it with all boldness and without hindrance. Nothing gets in his way. Nothing stops him. He just wants to share this message. And then it it goes on from there. And knowing that at any moment they could come and take him out of the cell and take him to that part of town where executions take place, and they could kill him. And ultimately that's what they do without any fanfare or celebration, probably early one morning, they lead him out and he knows where he's going. And they behead him. And now he's gone. But his message continues. You see, his life ended, but the impact of his life had just begun. That's why we're still talking about Paul today, isn't it? That's why we're sharing from the Bible what he taught us. So I want to challenge you to do four things. Pray, give, give serve, and invite. Pray, give, serve, invite. Try it with me. Pray, give, serve, invite, and do it how? Boldly. Boldly. Yeah, do it boldly because how's the kingdom going to be advanced? How are we going to share the faith? How are we going to reach the lost? It's only if we are used by God. You see, that, that first century group, they're gone. The spokesperson, Paul, is gone. Now, who's going to be the spokesperson? Because I hope we have a lot of those spokespersons. I hope we're just filled with a church full of them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you give us the privilege to share the good news with others. Lord, I pray that we might do it now. In Jesus' name, amen.